I've got the itch, and it's going to be scratched in about two weeks when I'm sending some arrows in Nebraska. This is your host, Jordan Risky of the Nimrods Podcast, brought to you by Risky Outdoors and Prime Archery. We have a pretty cool episode for you guys. We're going to be talking some food plots and out-of-state hunting with my man, Elliot Hubbard, um, a guy that I'm kind of in a group chat with, and um, I was looking for some people to interview, and I know this guy is... uh, pretty good at, at the food plot um, side of things, so um, something that I'm trying to get better at and just learn more on, and I figured there's probably a lot of people out there trying to do the same, so I wanted to get Elliot on here, talk a little bit about that, as well as some trips that he's been on, and um, yeah, just kind of pick his brain on good podcasts to kind of listen to and things like that, so without further ado, we're going to jump into this one, and we're going to get Elliot on here, but first, we're going to have to take a quick break. Thank our partner at Apex Gear. They have been pretty awesome to us, guys. Um, get over there, set up your bows. They literally have everything you need to to get your bow ready to rock and roll for the season. Um, it's getting to crunch time, so I just got my Apex four pin um, sight covert. It's adjustable. This thing is pretty freaking awesome. Um, I was shooting out to ninety yards. Yes, two days ago and had some pretty pretty sweet groups so i'm loving it um i also got their stabilizer i'm running a rear bar with them um so shooting at longer distances i've become a lot more accurate doing that so get over there use promo code risky r-i-s-k-e and you guys will receive 20 percent off your purchase that's insane that's that's a really good deal so get over there um buy some gear get your bow set up um so let's jump into this let's get la done all right, so on the phone with me today is Elliot Hubbard. So Elliot, come off and just kind of tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, and yeah, just a flyover of you. Well, I appreciate having me on the show. Always fun to talk hunting. Uh, just a regular Michigan hunter from the Thumb, born and raised. Uh, I kind of cracked my teeth on uh, more of the management game back in 2001, hard and heavy in the food plots, 2010. Uh, get out uh, hunting out of state and just eat, sleep, breathe deer hunting. Okay, gotcha. So did you did you hunt private or public most mostly? Uh, uh, mainly uh, private land. Um, fortunate enough to have family ground, and that's where I really you know hit the ground running. But uh, the public land definitely started appealing to me and uh the last five years i've been scouting a lot more on the public land side of things and, and digging into that more challenge of the pressure and figuring out where these big deer live gotcha so i i, I know I, like i did that when i lived out of state like wisconsin i hunted all public land and then you can learn so much going into those high pressure areas and take them back to private ground and it, it makes private hunting a lot easier than it was before I started hunting public, if that makes sense. Just because I, I felt like I learned a lot more hunting hunting public. You had to be more strategic. You had to know, look for different terrain features and things like that. So how much how much private land, like acre-wise, are you hunting? Uh, as far as Michigan, I got 120 in Michigan. Wisconsin, I got 40. Uh, Ohio is 120. And uh, Kansas is right around 150. Okay. So are you are you leasing when you go out of state? Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, I do. Um, 
But, you know, the thing that's, that's I find interesting on leasing, and it's not everywhere. Um, you know, you get a lot of people that say, you know, it'd be nice to be able to lease. I just don't have the money. But it's like for a lot of these farms, especially, you know, Ohio's a, a driveway, Wisconsin, that's actually, I don't pay for my Wisconsin lease. It's all on farm work. I, I went up and planted the food plots and, and did all the work. And a lot of these farmers that I know around here in Michigan, it's like, you know, if you throw out the, hey, you need help, you just call me, I'll come, you know, whether it's run a tractor, you know, throwing hay bales into a hay wagon. That's where a lot of people, I think, miss golden opportunities is a lot of these farmers um, or private land owners are looking for that give and take. It's not just about money. And that's where I've, I've landed a lot of my leases from is just offering manpower. Yeah. I know that's my wife and I hunt Illinois, and we make it a point to get down there at least once. We try to get down there twice during the summer and just help, I mean, with food plots and tree trimming. I mean, it's a lot of work to manage property. It doesn't matter. I mean, 40 acres even. I mean, it's it's a lot of work. And, yeah, like you said, just offering up help. And then it, it's a big impact when you're driving, you know, out on where you're at in Wisconsin. But five, six, seven hours and you actually show up, those guys are, are very much appreciative. It's, that's for sure. That's really cool. That's a cool way to go about it. A lot of guys are just... You know, some are fortunate enough where they just get to throw money at people and say, let me hunt your land. Um, but it's I, I think it makes more of an impact when you're offering the the work side of things. That's pretty cool. Absolutely. And my Wisconsin is a seven hour drive one way. Uh, it would be only like five and a half if I went through Chicago. But we all know how Chicago can be. So. Yeah. 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 I lived up there for. Oh, two and a half years. I lived in the kind of near around Madison. I lived on the west side of town, and then I moved to the like southeast side of town and lived down there for a while. So, hundred lot. Yeah, I'm just I'm just north of Green Bay. Oh, so you're way up. So do you go through the UP then? Yep. I gotcha. Okay. Nice. Yeah. Some that's big woods up there. You know, it, it, it's it's weird because it's like. You'll go into a section, and it's just miles of, like, the UP cedar swamp, like, limestone swamp, and then literally you're at the edge of that big woods is nothing but acres and acres and acres of this gorgeous cornfield and soybeans. I, I enjoy it because it's like a mix of that UP, but you get a little bit of that farm ground as well, and it just it, it's fun to hunt because it's two completely different ecosystems in one. Yeah, that is pretty cool. I've never, I've never hunted up there. I've... And I've actually never been a guy. I've never hunted in the UP of Michigan. I, I've been up there fishing a lot, but I've just been so fortunate hunting some good luck, good land here in the the troll side of the state that I've <laughs> I'm, I've never ventured up there. Um, my brother had a cabin up there. He he shot a real nice buck up there a couple of years ago, but um, yeah, I've just never been up there. I'd like to someday, but it's hard to walk away from good deer to go hunt small deer. Well, you know, you're talking like public land and, and making it, you know, harder and it helps, you know, on the private land side of things. The the draw that I have for the UP, because I mean, I've hunted up in, you know, Houghton, Gogebic, uh, Delta County. Um, there's deer that literally have not seen humans. Yeah. Like you can get, you can go three miles back, four miles back, and there's deer there that have never seen a human. So it makes it even that much more difficult because it is a true predator prey you know mentality and you have to be on your a game any little difference in they're on you 
Yeah, that's interesting. I've I've never hunted like outside of Montana. I've never in Nebraska. I've never hunted ground where it's just miles of just go and for whitetail anyway. I think that'd be a lot of fun. Uh, it's the biggest chunk I think I've ever hunted was Wisconsin, and that was probably five six thousand acres, which sounds like a lot. But in the scheme of things, public land when anyone can get on and they have, you know, five different access or parking lots, that five six thousand acres shrinks pretty quickly. Absolutely. So, but so you've hunted Wisconsin, Michigan, Ohio. Tell me a little bit about Ohio. That's like the big kick right now. Everyone's raving about it. I've never been there. Never hunted it. Well, it's. It's social media, in my opinion, you know, killing what's a great place. Because uh, um, I did in, in 2015, I got to hunt uh, Golden Triangle Whitetails out of uh, Illinois, you know, and that mm-hmm. was back in 2015. It was everybody was Illinois, Illinois, Illinois. Don't get me wrong, Illinois is fantastic. But yeah. I think this big push with Ohio is there have been some 200 inch giants coming out of Ohio consistently, and it's been blowing up on social media. But there is. Ohio's got it right. Um, great habitat. The hills hide a lot of those deer. You got thick cover. You had the big oak flats. You had the agricultural side of things. But their season setup is fantastic. I mean, you got what? A weekend worth of gun season, a weekend worth of, of muzzleloader, and then it's all archery. Okay. Um, and then, you know, it's a one buck state, but they manage their doe per county um, with, I mean, I think the most you can shoot for does in some of the counties are three, three dopes. Their system is fantastic, and the mentality is there. You know, Michigan, we're a deep-rooted traditional hunting mentality. There's, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But in Ohio, because the uh, deer hunt has been a lot shorter uh, time length than what Michigan has, those guys are all about shooting big deer, and they shoot big deer, period. Yeah. But... Um, one thing that I will say that's interesting with Ohio and, and looking at the Ohio deer versus Michigan deer, um, there's a lot of things that we can't get away with here in Michigan that you can get away with in Ohio um, as far as changes. Um, I've seen guys go into state land and, you know, not being scent conscious, making a bunch of noise, hanging their set up, and then they end up shooting 140, 150 like nothing ever happened. Hmm. It's just completely different ways, but at the same time, there's things that I've learned in Ohio that I've never got to experience in Michigan as far as uh, how those big, mature bucks actually react and walk through. You know, uh, Dan Infall talks a lot about the thermals and, you know, on the leeward side of the hills. I got to experience that firsthand, and there was a lot of learning that I got off of one deer, you know, that I never got to experience in Michigan. Yeah, I try to, I try to tell people about that all the time, and um, and I mentioned it on the podcast. Like, I think Michigan just struggles because, like, deer in Michigan do not act like normal normal deer, and, and it's hard to explain to someone that hasn't experienced like a a deer in its like natural state and how how they move and how they use the landscape. You come to Michigan, and I guess it, it, it is still natural because these deer are still wild. But you go, like, I own it Illinois a lot, and you go down there, and you see, like, a deer behave. And it's like, okay, that's the way they actually do behave. And then you come up here to Michigan, and it's like, 
their heads on a swivel. They're looking up in trees. They're they're constantly looking to see if they're going to die into their neck, you know, the next 10 steps they take. Where in Illinois, like these deer are just moving. They're looking to breed does. Does are, it's, I get what you're saying. It's, it's wild. Like you can get away with things that you can never get away with up here, but then a mature deer, you also like, I'm not very scent conscious. I just never have been. I've always just been like, you, you got to be on the right wind because a big mature buck he's gonna he's gonna pick you off i i really believe that so i always i use the wind in my favor and try to set up where you know i'm not i'm not gonna have a, a mature buck come down wind to me or anything like that so that's kind of try how i try to set up and what i'm saying is like michigan it does i mean it's just different they're it they just act different like their be mannerisms their behavior is way different than any other state that I've ever hunted. So it's cool to hear you say that you've actually experienced that too. And you know, and what's funny is there's uh, some big buck killers that I know that have flat out said any good, consistent big buck killer in Michigan can flat out go to any other state and just straight kill studs every year, which is, which is kind of a cool feeling to have because like you said, you know, these deer are heads are on a swivel nonstop heads are up in the trees you know, and it's like, and it's not just your bucks. I mean, your does, your doe groups, your younger does, all these deer, heads are in the trees nonstop. And it's just, it's a testament to how much pressure that these deer actually face in our state. Yeah, that's that's so true. Like, my brother always asked me, like, hey, let me, I want to go on a whitetail hunt with you out of state. And it's like, man, I, I don't want to take you anywhere because I know I'm not going to hear the end of it because I know he's going to end up killing a giant deer just because he's a freaking <laughs> phenomenal hunter here in Michigan. And I know if he, if I put him anywhere else, like even in Wisconsin or Illinois, or he's been putting in for Iowa points and he wants to go to Iowa with me. And it's like, man, I don't know that I want to go with you because I know I'm never going to hear the end of it. But, so you said Illinois, Golden Triangle. How many times have you been down there? Uh, went down there in 2015, and the uh, plan is to get down there uh, within the next two years. Uh, I tell you, that was that was a treat. That was unreal. Yeah. The hunting. I mean, the first time I've ever got to see a free range, 200 plus inch whitetail, typical whitetail at that. Um, first experience ever rattling. Uh, not only just one mature buck, but multiple mature bucks on one set. And, you know, actually, like you said, seeing what the rut actually is supposed to be like, you know, mm-hmm. seeing this chasing and seeking and, and the bucks fighting and the vocalization, like, it was flat out amazing until the last day when I missed 165 inches. <laughs> hey, it happens. I mean, I, Illinois is phenomenal. Like, I... It's kind of it's kind of went dark now for a while. People still talking about Iowa and then Ohio, and I love it. Like focus on those two states, guys. I, everyone stay out of Illinois. I mean, it's it's a weird state, but man, their their whitetail are southern. Well, I think it's all of Illinois, but I hunt southern Illinois, and it's it is pretty it's pretty wild. So you're hunting the Golden Triangle. So you're like oh an hour and a half, two hours east or west of where i hunt so it's yeah, it was, we were in uh, the farm that we had actually split uh one half of it was in adams and the other half was in brown county okay but i think we we're like an hour east of quincy uh 45 minutes to an hour east of quincy 
Oh, okay. So you're a lot closer. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know kind of where you are. Um, I'm closer to like the Kentucky. Uh, we're not not far from there. So there's uh, another sleeper state right there. It is. I want to get down there. I want to hunt them in velvet. That's that's on my bucket list. Get down there early season. The only thing I've heard is bugs are ridiculous in early season down there. So, they carry you away. Yeah, but hunting swamps and stuff in Wisconsin and Michigan, it's like eh, I think I could handle it. So <laughs> we'll we'll see. But so out of out of all the states you've hunted, whitetail. What's your what's your favorite state? Honestly, I, I gotta say, I gotta say Wisconsin. Really? Um, and, and this is why, like, don't get me wrong. If you're looking for straight just inches and big deer, obviously Ohio and uh, Illinois are great. Um, but when you look at sheer size of deer, I, I am a sucker for just big deer. And the deer in Wisconsin body-wise are just massive. But... Because I've hunted the UP and I've had that, that experience, and then you bring that to Wisconsin, plus a little bit of the farmland, plus you have pressure in Wisconsin, uh, you know, those deer get hunted hard in Wisconsin. Oh, just yeah. like they do here in Michigan. So it's like you have to be on your A game, and it's just that, that cat and mouse game, it's just it's addicting to me, and that's why I think I like Wisconsin as much as I do is it forces you to have to hunt and hunt smart and strategic and, and get risky at times. Gotcha. That's interesting. I'll, I'll give you a, a tip about Wisconsin after living up there. The days that I found were the best deer hunting, and I add like public land to myself almost every time, were home packer games. I would... <laughs> I would go out and I would be the only person on public land on home packer games. It was nuts. And then you would get like an away game and I mean, there'd be people everywhere. It's like, it didn't matter, but I, I honestly, I would be in the woods if there was a home game. Cause I knew no one else was going to be out there either that or, or the Badgers. If they had a home football game, I was in the woods. Cause I, I mean, I was right in town in Madison and everyone went to the football game. So I'd be like, well, I really don't care. I'm a, I'm a Spartan fan, so, you know, if they're playing, I'm, I'm out in the woods and nobody else is out there. I'll have a couple thousand acres to myself to mosey on around. So, just a quick little tip there for you, Elliot. Get out there when, when there's a home, home Packers game. I can believe it because uh, something I'll give to people in Wisconsin, when they build deer blinds, it is the Taj Mahal of deer blinds. Like, (laughs) literally, you'll be going down the interstate and you'll look over to the right and here's this big tower blind. It's got solar solar panels on the roof. They got the, you know, the wood stack coming out. They got the satellite dish on the side (laughs) of it. It's just like, (laughs) is this a deer blind? You know, I just look at these rednecks and I go, man, those are nice blinds. And then I go to Wisconsin. I'm like, they have nothing on these boys from Wisconsin. Yep. It's funny. It's like uh, they put the muddy box blinds to shame. Yeah. So that's, that's awesome. So little transition into food pots so when you're going into these other states you i know you said that you like you're putting in some manpower and putting in some work so are you going you're going up there and planting planting food plots on these properties that you're hunting uh most of them i uh, we do um it's all you know obviously 
you go out in, in Kansas or Iowa or Missouri, you know, sometimes it gets difficult because that, that's a long drive to haul equipment down to. Yep. And that's what's kind of nice when, you know, you talk to these landowners or, you know, farmers and say, hey, you know, I know how to run these these pieces of equipment. I'll help you out. But in return, now I don't have to haul a rig all the way down to Missouri or Iowa or, or Kansas. I can borrow their equipment to do what I need to do because they, they trust. But, um it's amazing the differences in soils from one state to another. Um, you know, Michigan here, we're, we're pretty sandy. You get in Wisconsin, you get that, that almost muskeg style dirt. And then you get into like Iowa and Illinois, especially on the, the Mississippi River side. And, oh, that is the, the, the blackest of black, great dirt. You know, and then Kansas. Uh, you can have great dirt in one spot and then you got sand or clay in the, in the other spot. It's yeah. just different okay so like here in michigan what are your like what are your go-to plots like what are you looking i mean obviously some are going to change and i don't know if you rotate and do different things but walk me through a couple like your setups and what you're planning and why you're planning that if i have you know it's all acreage dependent as well as uh, deer density dependent um, as much as i love soybeans i mean Honestly, there is not a food plot plant out there that will beat soybeans. Hands down, if you can get soybeans to grow, especially late season, you'll have deer. But the downfall of soybeans is deer love soybeans. And if you have a high density and you don't have the acreage to plant it, putting an electric fence or a hot fence up gets expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, so I play into, you know, what's the soil like? What's the deer density like? What's my acreage like? Uh, my big go-to is I love clover. Clover can handle a lot of browse pressure. Um, it's high protein, especially if it's managed well. You're talking, you know, deer need 18% uh, protein to express their full potential, and you're giving them anywhere from 25 to 35% digestible protein. That's huge for deer. Okay. Um, but probably my absolute favorite um food plot mix and, and this is no plug it's just what i use um northwoods whitetail has a uh, fall forage blend that's got rye oats wheat uh austrian winter peas in it so i plant that with um a mix of red clover crimson clover and radish it's like a buffet style it handles browse well but at the same time it feeds my soil and that's what a lot of people don't realize is uh, long-term effect on your soil you know if you're just plowing your dirt and, and beating it up and you know not putting the appropriate amount of nutrients back in the soil or recycling the nutrients uh, all you're doing is mining it and long term it's going to hurt you and that's yeah. what's nice about that that fall forage plus is everything that's in it doesn't take a whole lot from the soil and you can continue to build your soil up and not have to worry about oh man you know because fertilizer i think a ton of urea coated urea right now is like almost six hundred dollars it's it's ridiculous Hmm. you know and and same with potash and uh your phosphorus it's in the 450 to 500 range so if i can keep myself from spending all this money on fertilizer because i'm planting something that only not only draws deer but requires less nutrients it's a win-win for me gotcha yeah i'm trying to get more involved in like um, I listen. I listen to the Land and Legacy podcast. Those guys are great. Oh, they are. And every time I listen to a podcast, like I have to go back and re-listen to it because ninety-nine percent of the stuff just goes over my head. 
um, and just trying to learn more and more from those those guys. They they know what they're talking about, and a lot of like their um, their a lot of it's talking about making sure that your soil is maintained, and that's something that I've done a, a poor job of in the past, and just trying to learn more and more about that and what's like you know natural growth and and it's pretty cool and they they don't spend a whole lot of money on fertilizers and things like that just because they're maintaining their soil extremely well and the in the deer that they're they're getting just from you know natural browse and just returning stuff to their natural landscapes it's it's pretty cool it's 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 fun to watch and follow along with those guys so you know and, and there's a there's a good point that you brought up is um they always have something growing you always want you never want to bear food plot you know that's the bad thing with brassica is brassica is great in the fall but in the spring there's nothing there yep you know so that's where you know frost eating uh annual clovers in or you know some oats or rye you know because that's the beauty of rye you can go in before a good spring rain broadcast on that bare dirt and you got germination and granted it won't go to seed head but it's still there's something growing so your nutrients aren't leaching out you know the soil's not getting baked by the sun and you know to their their credit with how they're going is you know fallow fields uh dr harper talked about it all the time about all the the protein and all the the nutrients that you know goldenrod and, and milkweed and all these what we call weeds actually supply for deer and, and you know when you break woody browse down it's amazing how much woody browse a deer actually needs to survive it just it's mind-boggling because you think there wouldn't be you know a good food source of woody browse but it is yeah you know and, and that's the problem that you know and i i was guilty of it fortunately enough for me i had a really good deer hunter a uh, great friend and mentor kind of snapped me out of it but i think there's too much of the the food plot craze don't get me wrong they're great tools to have they're a piece of the puzzle but i think you know people are putting too much emphasis or reliability on these uh food plots mm-hmm. when there's so much more that could be going on yeah i that's that's the one thing that i like about the lane and legacy is they talk about this a lot they say they put it into perspective and it was real eye-opening for me is they talk about like how much how much time do you put into your food plots and you think about it and you're like holy crap I, I put in a lot of time and then he's like how much time do you actually hunt those food plots it's like well not as much as i and then then they say well could you kind of cut back on that and spend more time on you know broadening like what you're doing whether it's like you know main like trees and, and and putting more time into that and hinge cuts and you know spreading out and not focusing so much on food plots there's so much more that deer feed on and food plots like you said are a piece of the puzzle but they're more of and, and they're a, they're a, you got to look at them more as a it's a tool it's just another like trick that we not not really a trick but it's a it is it's it's like the candy for for these deer and that's not what's maintaining deer and, and keeping deer on your property there's a lot more that's keeping deer on your property if you have deer consistently in ag fields that's that's where they're getting most of their nutrition it's not from your not from your food plots it's just not so no. and, and the other problem too is you know human pressure 
human pressure is what destroys great properties or great food plots. Mm-hmm. You can have the thickest, luscious food plot, but if you're going in there day after day after day and, and hunting them, and you know you're not paying attention to your behavior, you just you know it, it's. I'm sure you've seen it on social media. These guys talking as season progresses, they're not seeing any more deer. Every, you know, and it's everybody shooting all these deer, and it's it has nothing to do with it. It's your own bad habits that are killing your property. You know, yeah. it's like uh, if people would just, I think, step back and actually question the hows and whys. I think there's a lot of information that they can learn off of their own experiences if they would just ask themselves the hows and the whys instead of just, oh, I'm not seeing deer anymore. Yeah. Well, why aren't you seeing deer? Or how come you're not seeing those deer? Or, or what are you doing that could be contributing to it? Yeah. So, Elliot, since, you, since you're planning these food plots, when, when are you hunting them? Like, what's your ideal time to, to set up on them? Hmm... Cause I, I have experience like that. That's basically like we don't have like our Illinois property. We're not hunting over big crop fields. We're hunting over over food plots. When when I'm saying a food source, so I have an idea of like when we do it. I'm just curious like when you're hunting these food plots and when you're seeing the most benefit out of them. See, I think you know again, just from experience and. and also talking to other guys, I think it's all uh, property and state dependent. Um, you go like in Iowa, food is king in the late season. You see, I mean, Lee and Tiffany with their acres of beans and they got all these deer in there. And, you know, you've seen Winky uh, hunting late season and, you know, he's got a great late season food source and he's got deer pulling in. But there's not a lot of pressure in those states. But when you come to Michigan, late season, you can see a lot of does, but when you talk to the older age class bucks, you're not seeing them because mm-hmm. they're coming out at the nighttime. Um, so I think it's dependent. Um, but like we'll use Michigan for example. Um, I think that pre rut stage, like that last week of October, um, you can kind of get away with it because most does are like within the first 50 to 100 yards of those food sources. And that's where a lot of people get in trouble is guys go to hunt food plots and they're blowing their does out while all they're doing is pushing their does deeper and deeper and deeper into the woods. Yep. Where you can kind of push that envelope on that late season, you know, the, the later part of October and getting in the rut, you know, because those those does are getting pushed off those food sources by the, the bunch trying to find that first doe to breed. Yeah, um, but for the most part in Michigan, I don't hunt them. I stay off. Um, I used to hunt them, and then I learned real quickly that if you want to consistently kill these deer um, and get on deer, that hunting these food sources isn't the way to go. But you go into Illinois, and man, they're fantastic to hunt during the rut because those deer are just constantly in them food sources. There's scrapes all along the edges of, of the clover plots and the brassica plots, and these bucks are just checking every scrape they can and looking for that hot dough. So I really do strongly feel it's, it's different, you know? Yeah. If, so, but late season, I do love late season. Honestly, I'd have to say late season is probably the best time to hunt a food source if you're going to hunt over a food source, um, especially if you have a good, you know, brassica or soybean or standing corn. That's when you really want to focus on the food sources because yeah. you're just trying to build for winter. Yeah, I know. I, I agree with you. It's very state dependent. We I hunted um, with my buddy Phil this past year, and he had 
a couple pretty big um, food plots planted and stayed out of them until till late season and just staying away from them he had mature bucks coming into them an hour before before sunset like every night and that's just because there was zero pressure on them into that late season and then illinois we'll we hunt food plots that first like week of deer season and then we will not hunt over those food plots i mean granted there are times that we'll hunt them um if wind's correct and you can get in there pretty easy we'll hunt them during other times but generally we're hitting them hard first week week and a half and then we're kind of getting away from them hunting in the timber more until that last two three weeks of season when you got a a pretty big cold front's coming through and after the rut these deer they need to eat and they're slaves to their food source and you go sit on it i think that's the easiest time to kill a big mature deer is if you keep the pressure down hunt food plots late in the year um i'm right there with you if i had to pick illinois season goes a little bit later so that first second week in january in illinois i'm i'm sitting on a food source i'm not going near a bedding area i'm going to sit there and just wait michigan michigan's just different so i, I don't you're, know <laughs> and that's ohio you know you can go into february yeah. you're hunting in ohio now granted you got to be really conscious of you know checking heads but uh, you know that's something it's almost less is more in a way for me with ohio because I don't need to go down there and hunt all the time. I can actually give these places time off because I have plenty of time to hunt. And I think that is one thing that gets these guys from Michigan is we got to get in there. We got to get in there before the pressure hits, you know, before the orange army hits. And you just, you know, that last week of October, first, you know, two weeks, November, man, it's like the woods is just full of people, Yeah, you know, but when you go to Illinois and Ohio in Iowa and Kansas and even Missouri, it's just like you see people, but you don't see people. You know, it's just so different in these states. Yeah, it is, and it's it's crazy. Like the hunting public guys always talk about people coming to Ohio or Iowa, and they say that like that first second week in November, it's it's insane there's so many out-of-state hunters in there they always say you know if if i was going to come here and i was from out of state i would be here that last week in october and that's when i'm gonna when i'm gonna hunt iowa just because you're the influx of people is people think i gotta be there during the rot i gotta be there during the rot and it's like no no you act you don't you don't have to be there get there at the tail end or the very very beginning and your your chances are probably gonna be a lot better just because of the whole the pressure less people so speaking of the thp guys who are you taking on the public land uh challenge Ooh, here in michigan yeah oh man uh i'm out of all that group that they posted be honest with you i'm going my man andy may i think he's gonna he's he's just a stone cold killer (laughs) that is seeing and i'm bouncing between between jeff and dan because Jeff has knowledge of Michigan because he's, you know, done so many properties here in Michigan. And there's a lot of similarities to Wisconsin and, you know, the southern part of Michigan. But uh, 
Dan also just has that knack for it too, and it's like you, you look at all of them, and it's. I think I gotta go with Dan. I gotta go with Dan. Dan. All right. Well, hey, Dan. I mean, I I, I just want to go with a Michigan guy just because I think they're gonna be here more. They're gonna. They're going to get their scouting in. I mean, I know Mark a little bit, Kenyon, and I know Andy May. And, dude, they're they're both really good hunters. Um, but, but could that be their downfall, though? Like, almost too much pressure. Like, we're the, we're the home state guys. We have to get that. You know, almost like that, that out-of-state luck because there there isn't that pressure. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with Andy. I think Andy gets it done. Um, it, it'll be interesting. It's definitely going to be a fun, fun journey to watch. Yeah, I'm, I'd be, I'm interested to see kind of, kind of how how they do. And then, the one I wish they would have got um, Jason or from Bed to Dead. I think he would have destroyed all of them. I think he's, he was on the. I had him on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, and that dude knows what he's talking about, and he's hunting some big deer here in michigan so yeah i I actually i got to meet him at woods and water and it's funny that like i've hunted talking to some of the state land that we've we've hunted it's like we're hunting the same state land and i've never seen him before and it's just it's kind of a a, again a testament to his style and in, in my style and you know being stealthy ninjas in the state land it's like the fact that we could literally be hunting within 100 yards of each other and not even know we're there is just that's crazy it is crazy and he sends me a couple pictures of deer here and there and i'm just like dude there is no way that's on state land in michigan and he's like it is man it is and i'm just like that's it's not people say we don't have big deer and false anybody has an opportunity to hunt these deer it's just how how hard are you willing to work to get to them absolutely it's like you know those uh couple bucks i posted the other day um, you know you got that mainframe eight point that's pushing 150 yeah like literally yeah he's feeding in a bean field that's private land but the woods right behind it that's public yeah but you know i also traveled two and a half hours away from my house to find that deer like yep. and, and that's where i think a lot of us get kind of the, the bad name in a way because but the I like chasing that caliber of deer, and I'll do what I need to do to, to I may not kill that deer, but at least have an opportunity or get out, getting on a deer of that caliber that it just, it takes work. I mean, I'm driving eight hours away to the UP or seven hours to, to Wisconsin, or there's state land that's 20 minutes from my house that I hunt that I've had good experience and encounters on, just haven't sealed the deal yet. Yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting because I have buddies too that just say you know I wish I could you know travel and do the hunting that you do I could be killing big deer and I'm like it, it's a sacrifice man you got absolutely any you you can do it anyone can do it it's it's just are you willing to give up going to a bar on Friday night night so you can get out and scout a piece and hunt it on Saturday morning or Saturday evening and not not hang out with a bunch of buddies and watch a football game i mean it's there's a lot of different i mean just different mentalities and and to each their own like if if that's what they want to do they want to do but don't complain about not being able to shoot or see big deer you know what i mean it's how hard are you willing to work my wife and i drive six hours every friday and six hours back home on sundays just to hunt for four sits in illinois and we do it almost every weekend, so it's all about it's all about sacrificing. How how bad do you want to kill a big deer? Is what it boils down to. 
Yeah, so. well, it's, you know, it's like uh, CB, you know, I, he made a trip the other day uh, to one of his places. I was talking to him, and he's like, dude, I thought I was going to have a heat stroke four, t- four times. Like, he's like, I had to literally sit in my, go back to my truck and turn the AC on just to cool down. But it's like, you know, again, going back to how hard are you willing to work, that, you know, that's a man that is willing to do whatever it takes, even if it's flirting on the verge of heat stroke. But, you know, he found his places, and it's like, right there you know how many guys are willing to actually you know go in these thick nasty spots and beat their bodies up in in 100 degree temperature if it needs to be just to get it done you know yeah yeah it's so true planted a food plot on the back of our property and it's the thickest nastiest i went back there and planted clover and i had like three gallons of water and in the first like (laughs) 40 minutes that they were gone i'm dumping water on my body just trying to stay cool and miserable absolutely miserable but hey you do what you got to do so um i want to get back to food plots a little bit so what's your what's like your your go-to like if you could plant one seed what is it clover clover everyone everyone says that but i struggle with this elliot because i planted i had two really good clover plots last year and I was just not getting deer in them. It was the weirdest thing, and I stayed out of them. And I, they just weren't they weren't coming to it. It was it was weird. I don't know if it was a seasonal thing, like there was something else in the area that they were eating on. But it, I was shocked. But I don't know. Well, and, and not every place, you know, clover is going to work. And that's that's kind of the the, the fun part of uh, of food plotting is figuring out what these deer actually like to eat. Um, for example, um, I can't plant brassica, you know, really easily because, you know, you hear everybody's got to have a frost in order for deer to, to, to be attracted to it. I have deer in my brassica in August and September, like literally mowing it down in August and September. You go to uh, another person I know, um, two properties over, and his deer won't touch the brassica. Absolutely will not touch it. For whatever reason, I'm not sure. Um there was a conversation uh, David Bryce had on his uh, page about how his deer won't touch his brassica, and he's only seven miles from away. Crow flies from my place. Hmm. Um, so deer are very picky in what they eat, but a lot of times you got to also look at is what am I missing? And a lot of times, if with clover, I found if deer aren't touching your clover, it's because of something in your soil. You are either either your pH is off, or you have a phosphorus deficiency, or potassium deficiency, or could be a boron deficiency. Like um, there's that, but there's also um, a little trick that I do too to kind of throw the odds in my favor. Um, is I broadcast uh, each fall, like three weeks before season, I broadcast trace mineral salt into my clover plots it's okay. legal because i'm doing it as a fertilizer yeah but it's it's adding those all those trace and those macro nutrients and minerals into the soil because just like the deer these plants need them too for everyday function and it's like taking a porterhouse steak or then taking that porterhouse steak and all your favorite seasonings that you're putting on the steak that's what that the, the trace mineral and the fertilizer and the lime does to that clover Gotcha. Interesting. All right. So when you're when you're planting your food plots, like what implements are you using? I've used everything from rototillers. Um, I'm not a big rototiller fan uh, because I feel I'm I'm one of the minimal tillage, no tillage kind of guys. Um, 
with all the research I've I've looked into it, I feel that's the way to go. Um, okay. In tillers, you can actually overwork your ground to the point where uh, you get like that talcum powder in your dirt. Well, that just you lose soil moisture so fast that way. Um, a lot of times, I'm just running a six and a half foot disc in a cultipack. Um, but I've had really good success um, just going in with a backpack sprayer, glyphosate, uh, give it a good kill off. And then two, three weeks beforehand, you broadcast your seed in before a good rain and Mother Nature takes care of, of the rest. You know, you could roll it with a yard roller or just leave it be. Gotcha. But I've had, um, I've had great success, especially with your clovers and your rye, your cereal rye. Yeah. What's your, if, like, what's your... Like if you could plant everything with, would you would you go no-till drill? Um, if you had your choice, like what's your? If, if money was not you know a concern, hands down no-till drill, absolute best way to go. Okay, that's what everyone everyone that I've talked to they're like no-till drill. Get a no-till drill. It's like yeah, it'd be nice nice to have, but also expensive. Um, you know, that's, but if you got, say you got a group of neighbors that you, you, you know, you have private land and, and everybody is all on board um, with the same management practice, that's where that kind of comes in handy because you guys can all go in on a no-till drill, Yeah. you know, and then that way it's, it's almost like a, a co-op. Everybody gets to use the, the drill and then that reduces the cost on, and if something breaks, it's covered by all, not just one person. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know. We that's what uh, the landowner down in Illinois uses. He uses a no-till drill, and food plots are they're unbelievable. Like last year, I mean, it was literally something you'd see from Drury Outdoors or Lee and Tiffany. I mean, it was one of the most beautiful food plots. All I mean, every one of them that I sat over was just it was phenomenal. And then, I mean, that's where I killed my buck was sitting over a food plot. We had a frost, so a lot of it was starting to die off, and it. It looked grungy, but man, deer were hammering it still. It was, it's crazy. So no-till drill. That's yeah. There's, I mean, you're not disturbing the soil. So not only are you not exposing your uh, seed bank, the weed seed bank, but you're not disturbing the soil where the sun is beating down on it, and you're losing, you know, soil moisture. Mm-hmm. You know, that's. I think that's where a lot of these plots are failing is the lack of soil moisture. You look at us; we haven't had rain in a good amount of rain in almost four weeks. Yeah. You know, I got neighbors that tilled their ground and planted, and there's absolutely no germination because there's no soil moisture. Yep. You know, and that's where that's I think where the no-till shine is the fact that you don't lose that soil moisture and you don't have the weed competition like you would if you tilled it or worked the ground up with a disc mm-hmm. yeah that's the one thing i'm running into i use that um oh that little four-wheeler disc and i, I can't remember what it's oh, called the uh, groundhog max or something like that yeah groundhog max that's what i'm using and i run into like a lot of weed competition um but i mean i i this is the first year that I've actually I bought it and I used it and I put in I put in one f- plot early this year um, and, and just a mixture of a bunch of stuff and a lot of clover and it, it's taken off but I got a lot of weed competition coming in but and it's and it's very um, like concentrated like I'll have like a ten by ten area where it's heavy with weeds and then there's nothing and then you move 50 yards and there's another big 10 by 10 area it's just flooded with weeds so it's not terrible but 
I, I totally get what you're saying. Like the no-till drill, it just it would be nice to have, nice to use. But anyway, see that's and that you know you're talking about weed competition with you know with your clovers, and that's why I, I love fall planting clover, um, especially if it's a new ground that you're you're working up. Um, a lot of times, what I like to do is I'll go in um, in the spring and brush hog. And then when the ground is soft, I'll just go in and do a quick pass with the disc. And then you'll get all that weed seed exposed and it just flourishes. And then I go in and I'll spray with, you know, glyphosate. And then I'll go in with the disc again and I'll do a quick pass with the disc, nothing heavy. Expose more seed. I'll, you know, spray it off again with glyphosate. And then I go in about mid-August to end of September and I work it one more time, plant my, my clover with a cover crop of, of rye. And you have such a lower competition with weeds because a lot of your weeds are warm season weeds mm-hmm. that need that heat of summer. And then when you get into that, uh, you know, you're exposing all this weed seed and, and you terminate it twice, yep. you know, in that summer. So that gives your clover a chance to take off in your rye. But, you know, you also have three months of root development because that's the bad thing with perennial clover is it takes so long to establish because it wants to build its root system. Yeah. Well, in the fall planted clover, you have three months in the fall that that clover is focusing on building its its root matter. Yeah. So then when you go in the, into that spring, by the time it gets hot, that clover is just thick and lush, and it's actually suppressing the weeds as well as the rye is helping to suppress the weeds. And you have a lot cleaner of a, of a clover plot with less work. Yeah, gotcha. That's kind of what I'm doing right now. Uh I I have to plant a little bit earlier this year just because I'm gone for two. I'm in Montana for a week and then Nebraska, well, Nebraska, then Montana for a week. So I have to plant a little bit early. But I did exactly what you just said, like disc a little and then sprayed. And then I went in and disced again and then sprayed. And now it looks, it's looking pretty good. So I'm, I actually have to plant here in the next like two weeks before i take off so we'll see hopefully it works for me i don't know my, my fingers are crossed so start doing a rain dance yeah right that's <laughs> that's it like there's this big rain coming this weekend and i'm like man but it's i think it's just a little bit too early to get stuff in the ground so oh, absolutely. you know and that's that was killer like what we were supposed to get up to four inches of rain what a couple of days ago and then we absolutely got nothing it yeah. out, you know that's what's so frustrating with food plotting is you're you're so reliant on mother nature yeah yep so true yeah that's that's kind of the struggle right now it's like like i was saying we have this two days of rain coming this weekend and i'm just like i, I can't do it i can't put them in just because it's, it's too early right now so what are you what are you playing just with a clover uh it, all kinds of stuff i got some like um uh i'm doing like a couple like sections so i'm gonna do like certain strips so i'm gonna have like a big clover strip so the plot that i'm planting is pretty big so i'm gonna do a clover strip and then i got some like oh there's some type of pea that i'm doing it's like a tall they say it's almost like a cover crop but it's 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 not i can't think of the name of it it's some type of pea though and then um, it might be and then i'm doing uh um 
more of a fall plot, just a big mixture of a bunch of stuff. So rape and radish and turnips and all kinds of. Right now is like for your brassica. Right now is the best time to get it into the ground. Yeah, because you're you know you're in southern Michigan. Yeah. Um, right now is I would be I'd be planting it, and then what you can always do is in September. You know, take a couple hundred pounds of rye and and just broadcast before rain, and then you can throw a little. You know, because it is it's early for cereal grains. Mm-hmm. Um, but you could go in in September and broadcast rye in the spots where you wanted cereal grains. Just overseed it, let the, the good moisture germinate it. Okay. Um, I don't think you'd be too early uh, playing this weekend as long as you know the rain holds. The forecasted rain holds. That's the biggest thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, it's supposed to. It's supposed to be here, so. Maybe I will. Maybe I'll try to get it in. I mean, the field's ready. Um, it's just I. I mean, there's a little bit of stuff that I have to do, but not not a lot. So I might try to get it in. I don't know. I'm still in the air, but we'll see. If I get it in, I get it in. I gotta put in. I gotta put in the the wife time. Make her happy. We're going up north and gonna enjoy the lake here on for a little for the weekend and. You know, got to keep her happy so that way I can go on all these hunting excursions and do my thing. So, happy wife, happy life. That's right, man. That is right. So, we'll see. But anyway, man, I appreciate you coming on and chatting with us. Um, it was fun, fun having you on. I'm sure I'll be tracking and watching you and making sure that you kill some big bucks this year. And we'll have you have you back on after you shoot that 150 inch eight point how about that i appreciate it i appreciate it all right sounds good elliot well thanks again man i appreciate you coming on yeah no problem big thanks elliot for coming on chatting with me um i appreciate it guys uh if you want anyone to come on here and you have suggestions for us we we want to reach out to them so if you want to hear from somebody shoot us a message um either on facebook instagram of people that you think we should be talking to and we'll do our best to get them on here um that's a wrap for today i appreciate you guys tuning in um get over to apex gear pick up your gear promo code risky r-i-s-k-e receive 20 percent off your next purchase Um, As always, guys, stay stealthy and strive to become a...